It's good to be here this morning. It's also good to have a scripture reader that knows how to wear bow ties. That always helps everything, so I do appreciate that as well. Dads, um, happy Father's Day. My fondest wish for you is that you got a Father's Day bow tie this year instead of one of those ugly other kinds of ties this year. But seriously, uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads that are here. Um, bunch of updates. It's a busy time of year. Lots of things are going on. One thing, please keep in your prayers and in your thoughts is the group that's down in Houston, working with the Impact Church of Christ there, um, doing a good work in a hot and steamy place. Uh, but remember them and uh, pray that God will bless what they do there, that his name will be glorified at the Houston Impact Church of Christ with our group that is there. Also want to give you a Project 6K update um, our goal this year at Netherwood Park is to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016, and to date we have read 4,343 books of the Bible, so good job. Keep up the good work. Keep those reports coming in. I also have some other updates as we're highlighting ways that we are serving here at Netherwood Park. Uh, we have a group that is going down to Portalis. Uh, leaving tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock to work at the children's home there. We presented you with a challenge of raising at least $5,000 for them to be able to do the work there they need to do as a Project 5K challenge, I guess. And an update on that, um, we raised $5,248, so exceeded our goal. So once again, thank you for that. And one more update. Uh, last Sunday night, we had our area-wide worship service and the Taco Hut dinner. Uh, it's a significant fundraiser for the Christian Student Center, and they report that they raised a little over $4,800. So again, great job. Thank you for all of your help in all of those different things. Let's pray together. Father, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Father, we come before you acknowledging that you know all things, and yet we still hold back. Father, we acknowledge that you see all things, and yet we still try to hide. Father, we know that you stand ready to forgive, and yet we still oftentimes choose to stay in the pig pen. Father, my prayer is that you will help us be people who hold nothing back, who try to hide nothing from you. Father, help us to always choose to come home to you. And Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we are in our next to last week of a short sermon series on the importance of spiritual discipline. And we've been having a conversation over these weeks about the role that spiritual disciplines have in opening our hearts to the transforming work of God in our lives. As we've been having this conversation about spiritual discipline, one of the consistent themes that has emerged is humility. I hope it's become obvious to you that we have to have humility in order to practice the spiritual disciplines. We have to recognize that we need discipline. We have to recognize that we need help. We have to recognize that we all need to be transformed. We also have to have humility to open our hearts up to God, to be disciplined. 
We have to be willing to acknowledge that he is the master and we are the slaves. We must be willing to acknowledge that he is the potter and we are his clay. But the spiritual disciplines don't just require humility. They also foster humility. They help develop and grow and establish humility in our hearts. They help bring order and perspective to our lives. They help show us who we are in relationship to our God. The spiritual disciplines foster humility in our hearts by bringing us face to face with our God. They help show us who he is and what he has done. And the spiritual disciplines help foster humility in our hearts by bringing us face to face with ourselves. They help show us who we are and what we have done. And these principles of humility are perhaps most obvious in the spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of confession. And we're going to see today that it requires often painful humility to make confession a regular spiritual practice in our lives. We're going to see that it takes often painful humility to admit that we need to open our hearts in confession to be disciplined by our God. And we'll also see that the often painful practice of regular confession is essential in developing spiritual humility. It takes humility to confess, but it also takes confession to develop true spiritual humility. So the essential role of humility is probably obvious to us. And it's going to be even more obvious as we talk about establishing the practice of confession in our lives. And the fact that it's very essential also probably helps explain why we're so resistant to practicing confession. See, we are resistant to practicing confession. At least that's my experience. I am certainly resistant to practicing confession. I am resistant to confessing my sinful nature to God or my sinful nature to anyone else. I am certainly resistant to confessing my sinful actions to God or my sinful actions to anyone else. And what's true for me, I believe, is true for most of us. I believe it's true for us collectively, true for us as a congregation, true for the church as a whole. We are resistant to confessing our sinful natures to God or anyone else. We are resistant to confessing our sinful actions to God or to anyone else. And if we kind of brainstormed, we could probably come up with dozens of reasons for why that is true. But I think there are really two basic, fundamental, foundational reasons why we resist confessing our sinful nature and our sinful actions to God or to anyone else. And the first reason is hiddenness. The first reason why we are resistant to practice confession is hiddenness. We resist confession because we want to hide. We want to hide who we really are. And we want to hide what we've really done, those sinful things we've done. 
We don't want to confess to God because we want to hide who we are and what we have done from from God. We don't want to confess to each other because we want to hide who we really are and what we have really done from each other. And we don't even like to confess to ourselves because we'd really like to hide who we really are and what we've really done even from ourselves. So we don't confess because we think our silence can keep our sinful natures and our sinful actions hidden. Hidden from God and hidden from each other and even hidden from ourselves. And the reason we want to keep silent and the reason we want to keep things hidden is really the second main reason we resist the discipline of confession. We resist confession because confession is painful. Confession hurts. We resist confession because confession requires us to engage in painful self-examination. See, in order to confess, we have to come face-to-face with who we are and face-to-face with what we have done. We have to admit to ourselves who we are and what we have done. And I'm here to tell you, self-examination hurts. See, we not only have to admit to ourselves who we are and what we have done, we also have to admit to God and admit to each other who we are and what we have done. And I'm here to tell you, those admissions hurt. Bringing our sinful nature and our hidden sinful acts into the open is painful. I'm painting a pretty picture, aren't I? So we have to ask a question. If, if bringing these things to light, if confessing is so painful, then why do it? Why should we, as people of God, overcome our resistance to confession? Well, I want to suggest that we should overcome our resistance and practice the discipline of confession because of what confession brings. Because of what confession does. Because of what God does for us when we confess. I want you to listen again to some of the words that we read earlier from Psalm 32. David writes, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Then he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Listen again to some of the words that we read earlier from 1 John chapter 1. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So yes, confession is painful, but confession also removes pain. 
It removes darkness. It removes separation from God and from our brothers and sisters. David and John's words ring true for me. Don't they ring true for you? See, in my experience, and probably in your experience, when I keep what I am and what I have done hidden, when you keep what you are and what you have done hidden, when we keep silent, when we try to deceive ourselves and others by hiding who we are and what we have done, it eats at us. It works on our consciences. It affects our sleep. It affects our mood. It even affects our health. But keeping who we are and what we have done hidden does much more than that. It also brings darkness. It brings separation. It separates us from our brothers and sisters. But more importantly, it separates us from our God. And nothing is more painful than that. So why overcome our resistance to confession? Well, because confession reverses that pain of separation. Because confession brings forgiveness. Confession brings restoration. And confession brings healing. Why overcome our resistance to confession? Well, when we acknowledge our sin to God and do not cover up our iniquity, when we say, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord... He forgives the guilt of our sin. Why overcome our resistance to confession? Well, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he forgives us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. And don't you just hunger and thirst and long for forgiveness? Don't you hunger and thirst and long for restoration? Don't you hunger and thirst and long for healing? We long for those things, don't we? So how do we overcome this desire we have to hide who we are and hide what we have done? First, let's consider how we overcome our desire to hide these things from our God. I think the answer to overcoming our resistance is in understanding the very nature of God. And the first thing that we need to understand about God is that there is no hiding from God. We need to understand that absolutely nothing, not who you are and not what you have done, can be hidden from God. David expressed the futility of trying to hide from God this way in Psalm 139. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day, for darkness is as light to you. So we overcome our tendency to try and keep things hidden from God by realizing that there is no hiding from God. We can't hide from God. 
And, you know, I think that could be a terrifying realization to have, that there's no hiding from God. That can sound terrifying. And it would be terrifying if God didn't take such great delight in forgiving and great delight in restoring. Because that's also a part of God's nature. See, God not only knows who we are and he not only knows what we have done, he takes great delight in forgiving us for who we are. And great delight in forgiving us for what we have done. I don't think there's any place in Scripture that does any better job of telling us about God's delight in forgiving and restoring than the parable of the prodigal son. Probably better called the parable of the forgiving father or the parable of the watching father because really it's a parable about who our God is. We know the story, right? There's a man. We understand that it's God in this story. We understand that he's representing God. This man has two sons, and the younger of the two sons insults his dad and turns his back on his family by prematurely asking for his inheritance. And then he compounds a sin by taking that money, by taking his inheritance to a non-believing country, and there he blows all of his money on wild living. And he ends up literally in a pig pen. He's there with animals that are detestable to the Jews, and those animals have it better than he does. He couldn't sink any lower. He couldn't sin any worse. His father doesn't need any more reasons to completely disown him, completely turn his back on him. But the son has nowhere else to turn, so he goes home to his father. In verse 20, we read this. But while the young man was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. So how do we overcome our desire to hide from God? Certainly by recognizing that we can't hide from God, but also by knowing that God takes great delight, great delight in forgiving us and restoring us. Well, how about overcoming our desire to hide from each other? How about overcoming our desire to put up a front that says, it's all good here, it's all good in my life? Overcoming our desire to pretend like we all have it all together. Well, to put it bluntly, we overcome our desire to hide from each other by stop lying to each other. We've got to stop lying to each other. Remember what John said? He said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. John's more polite than I am. He says, the truth's not in us. I say, we're liars if we claim to be without sin. 
See, I want to make sure everyone here understands that if anyone here claims to be without sin, they are lying. So we're going to do a little exercise. Bear with me here. I want everybody to look to your right. See all those people over there? They're all sinners. Every one of them. But I don't want to leave these people alone. Turn and look to your left. See all those people over there? They're all sinners, every one of them. Now I want everybody to look up here at front. See this one guy up here? Sinner. Make no mistake about it. Everyone that you see is a sinner. See, we stop trying to hide the fact that we are sinners from each other by understanding that we are all sinners. Listen to this sentence. I probably will stumble over it. We don't have to hide the fact that we are sinners from our fellow sinners when we all know that we are all sinners. Did you catch that? We don't have to hide the fact that we are sinners from our fellow sinners when we all know that we are all sinners. We overcome our desire to hide from each other by acknowledging that we're a fellowship of sinners. And each and every one of us is completely reliant on the grace of God. So that's how we overcome our desire to hide from each other. How do we overcome our desire to hide from ourselves? And it turns out that overcoming our desire to hide from ourselves is a matter of the heart. See, we can either close our hearts by hiding Or we can open our hearts by confessing. We can either darken our hearts by hiding. Or we can open our hearts to cleansing and renewal and peace and transformation by confessing. See, if the sin in our lives is going to be defeated, it has to be brought into the light. For sin to be defeated, we must bring it into the light, and we bring it into the light by practicing the discipline of confession. So I want to take our last few minutes to kind of walk through what disciplined confession might look like in our lives. And we've referenced this before, but there's no way around it. The beginning point is always self-examination. The discipline of confession must begin in self-examination. We must ask ourselves some difficult questions. And really there are two basic questions we must ask ourselves. The first question that we must ask ourselves in self-examination is simply, who am I? We're wanting to know what's my nature And we discover who we are. We discover our nature by taking an honest inventory of the fruits of our lives. Do we produce love? Do we produce joy? Do we produce peace and patience? Do we produce kindness and goodness? Do we produce faithfulness and gentleness? Do we produce self-control? Who am I? I find that by looking at what I produce, the fruit of my life. And the painful part of this process is acknowledging that our nature often is a sinful nature. 
by recognizing that many of our fruits and many of the attitudes in our lives aren't from God and they aren't from His Spirit. And those are the fruits we should be confessing because those fruits need forgiving and those fruits need transforming. Let me give you an example of how this works. I'm going to confess to you one part, one of many parts of my sinful nature. When I examine myself, when I ask, who am I? I have to confess that part of my sinful nature is sarcasm. Some of you won't be surprised to hear that. I use words that wound other people. And I oftentimes disguise those words as humor. And you know what? That isn't gentle. That isn't kind. That isn't peaceful. So my sarcasm needs to be confessed because my sarcasm needs forgiving. My sarcasm needs transforming. I can't just say that's a part of who I am and learn to live with it. It needs to be transformed. So the first step in self-examination reveals who we are. It reveals our nature. It reveals what part of us needs transforming. But we can't just stop there. See, we can't discover just who we are. We also have to bring to the light what we have done. So we have to ask ourselves the often painful question, what sinful actions have I taken? What sinful things have I done? We also have to ask, against whom have I taken those actions? Who have I sinned against? And through that we discover what sinful actions of ours need transforming and need forgiving. We also have to ask, since I have sinned against someone else, since I have sinned against other people, then to whom do I need to go? To whom do I need to go? So for me, I should be asking myself, when I have been sarcastic, when I have hurt other people, who were those people? When did that happen? What did I do? I also have to ask myself, what am I going to do to quit being sarcastic? to quit being hurtful, to be transformed. I also have to ask myself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do to try and make things right with those people I know I've hurt? See, these questions, these what have I done questions, should be asked frequently, at least daily. They should be asked freely to frequently to keep us from hiding, to keep us from forgetting, to keep us from putting things aside, and to make sure that we take care of what we need to take care of today. Because we must bring our sins into the light. But we can't even stop there. See, we can't just ask the questions, but we also must confess the answers And we confess those answers directly to God. 
We take our sinful nature. We take our sinful actions before God. With nothing to hide, we take them before God in prayer. We tell God in detail who we are and what we have done. We don't flippantly say, forgive me for my sins. We hide nothing from God. We tell him who we are and what we have done. And we're able to do this in complete confidence, in full confidence, that we are in God's presence. That Jesus is there acting as our high priest. We approach God with full confidence that the penalty for our sins has already been paid. And we approach God with full confidence that he is faithful and he is just and that he will take great delight in forgiving us and in restoring us. It's a wonderful gift, isn't it? What a wonderful gift it is to be able to have confidence that when we confess our sins, our God is faithful and forgives our sins and restores us as his children. But we shouldn't stop there. See, I'm convinced for complete healing and for complete restoration to happen, we also should be confessing to each other. We should be confessing to our brothers and sisters. We should be confessing to our fellow sinners. James put it this way in James chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. See, we're responsible to each other. We have responsibilities to each other. We're not only a fellowship of sinners, we're also a fellowship of royal priests. And since we're priests, we're able to enter into God's presence for each other. And we're able to bring God's presence to each other. So when we confess to each other, when we pray for each other, when we forgive each other, when we restore each other, we're bringing God's forgiveness and restoration to each other. We're bringing God's healing power to each other. So we all need to find someone. We all need to choose someone or a small number of someones. We need to find those people to whom we can confess. To whom we can leave nothing hidden. The people that we can tell who we are and what we have done. So that their powerful and effective prayers can bring us healing and forgiveness, and restoration. I probably don't need to say this, but I'm going to say this anyway. We all need to find someone. We all need to choose someone, but we also need to choose wisely. Choose someone who's mature. Choose someone who's humble. Choose someone who's wise and compassionate. Choose someone who's trustworthy. 
can definitely choose someone who they themselves are confessional about who they are and are confessional about what they have done. We need to fill that role for each other. And I want to just briefly mention some principles about confession to the entire body. Confession to the entire church. And the reason that I want to mention this is because I do believe that there are a few specific instances where walking up the aisle and confessing who we are and confessing what we have done in front of the whole church is the appropriate, it's the right thing to do. And those appropriate times are when, when we couldn't hide our public sin if we even wanted to. When we have sinned in a very public way, then it's appropriate that when our sin has brought public dishonor, not just on ourselves, but on the body of Christ, public dishonor to the body, to the church, when we have publicly damaged the cause of Christ, it's appropriate for us to confess what we have done and who we are in front of the whole church. But listen carefully. The reason that public confession is appropriate in those cases isn't because there's a need for public punishment. It's not what that's about. Because confession isn't about punishment. Confession's about forgiveness. Confession's about restoration. Confession is about healing. And the reason that public confession is appropriate when there's been public sin and dishonor has been brought on the body is because our public sin hurts. It damages the entire body. And our public confession allows the entire body to begin to heal. And the body will heal. It will heal if this fellowship of sinners, if this fellowship of priests is filled with the compassion that we see in our Father. And ultimately, isn't that the reason why we are able to practice the discipline of confession? It's because our God is filled with compassion. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is the same. Father, you know all things and still we hold back. Father, you see all things and still we try to hide. Father, you stand ready to forgive and we still choose to stay in the pig pen. Father, my prayer for me and my prayer for everybody who is here is that you will help us to hold nothing back from you. My prayer is that we will hide nothing from you. My prayer, Father, is that we'll leave the pig pen and we'll come home to you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, whose blood made this possible, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to do right now is stand up. As we're standing, I want you to have an image of that parable that we talked about. 
the image of the father standing up on a hill watching, hoping, begging for his son to come home. And then picture the father as he sees a long ways away his son making his way humbly back to him. And as the father abandons all dignity and runs to his son. And while his son is still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. That's the picture of our father. That's the picture of our God. Let's sing about our God. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.